seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You have 60 seconds to comply. This is Minute 18. Part man. Part machine. All pod. This minute begins with a shot of Murphy investigating the steel mill and ends with him descending stairs. I usually write down the beginning and the ends of this, but for some reason my, my first line was Murphy dun-dun-dunning through the mill. <laughs> what what does that mean? dun 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 dun, oh. dun, oh, right. dun, dun. Copyright strike. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm already watching this, and all of a sudden the Mission Impossible uh, theme is going through my head. Of course. I have never seen any of those movies, somehow. Oh, fuck the movies. TV series where it's at. Oh, yeah, I forgot it was a TV series before that. Yeah, because the movies are quite old now. It, it had Leonard Nimoy in it, and that was an unintentional Star Trek drop. Well, shit. That's exactly what I was hoping to spare you from. Wow. Already off to a good start. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now i got to... Well, we were talking about Knight Rider before the show, and Transformers I haven't mentioned. Oh, no, I did mention Transformers. So, yeah, we're doing it off air. It doesn't count. You look like crap. Fuck you, kid! Oh, shit, what are we going to do now? Anyway. (laughs) I was going to say that this probably has one of the best edits in the entire film. uh, As Lewis comes upon Joe, who is, uh, to be blunt, urinating. Yeah, what's the deal with that? You know, are there no toilets (laughs) here? Do they just go wherever? What does this place smell like? He's a bad dude. I'm, I'm guessing this is an abandoned old steel mill. It probably doesn't smell any different. Yeah. <laughs> I love the pacing of this moment where it's like, you know, Lewis is creeping up. She sees the bad guy. She, she, Her whole thing has been the bubblegum pop. And you can see that it's in her mouth. And then she creeps up. The guy's urinating. And then pop. Stop. <laughs> yeah, I love that she gets so his attention good. that way. The other thing I've got with this is every single time I hear this, the mind if I zip up, it, for me, it's got the exact same energy from um, Blazing Saddles where um, the sheriff goes, Excuse me while I whip this out. Yeah. Uh, so Lewis does not break eye contact. She doesn't break eye contact. Then she breaks eye contact and then bam, she's bam. defeated by BBC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She gets distracted, and then that's her one weakness, apparently, and then he tosses her over the edge. She doesn't get clocked with the BBC, <laughs> but, um... <laughs> we are very mature professional podcasters. <laughs> God, we're thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> no hetero, but, yeah. So, so here's the thing. In the novelization, it actually is a little bit longer, and some of the dialogue's different. That's just given yes but in the in the in the novelization while he's kind of staring down lewis he actually gets what's called a blackjack which is essentially a long black thing usually made out of hard rubber Mm. and sometimes covered in leather so technically in the novelization he does knock her out with a big black thing yeah oh well there you go (laughs) yeah he just kind of just shoulder barges her and knocks her down But she gets it back up again. Yeah, you're never going to keep her down. Yeah, exactly. I think she would have been able to kick more ass if she had, in fact, run out of bubblegum. Yeah, 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 that's that's true. We all know that's the secret to kicking ass. Amateur move, Lewis. I thought you were better than that. Yeah, we might have to knock Lewis a few uh, pegs down on the badass level there. I don't know. Can't believe it. Lewis, God. (laughs) But, you know, Joe does commit the cardinal sin of not checking the body. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was, considering how much the novelization wants to call these guys rapists, maybe he was saving it for later. Maybe. Ew. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> that, that just took a turn. I'm sorry, viewers. I got dark. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, here we go. The novelization backs this up. Joe stared down the shaft. Maybe if the cop wasn't too banged up, he'd get to have a little fun before he killed her. Yeah. He smiled to himself. Picked up a loaded shotgun and headed for the stairway leading to the front door. Ouch! In the novelization, it sounds like, you know, the Lewis thing was a little bit more brutal. Mm. Like, you know, they had an actual fight and stuff like this, but I'm guessing at this point in the movie, they just wanted to just get to the juicy stuff. Uh, My other notes for this minute is the set decorating. So... Mm. Uh, Lois enters in from the second floor, then she looks down and you see what we presume is the gang's living space. You've got a couch, television, fridge, 
And it, it's one of those things that, since doing Movies by Minute, I'm aware of just how much work goes into making a film specifically from the set design or set decorating perspective. You know, the moment you start mm. filming anything in live action, you have to think about the logistics of, okay, where are we filming this? How are we getting That's all this exactly furniture? It. All of that sort of stuff. And, you know, if you would need yeah. this furniture to look new or old and busted up or just it, it's the, the problems start piling up very quickly. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's it. it all movies are made by compromise to varying levels. You know, while script is king for the most part. Yeah. You know, if you go, I want this shot on the third moon of Jupiter at date, daylight and blah, 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 blah. Mm. It's like, well, we probably not in the budget to, well, shoot there, but we, we no idea what that looks like. So we're just going to shoot it nighttime in a factory. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's got to compromise to a certain degree. Just, yeah, logistics is a huge thing. In fact, the funny thing is, um, as much as we've, um, we've previously talked about this being shot at the steel mill in Philadelphia, mm. the interior where Murphy is killed is actually a different location. It was shot in Long Beach. So, yeah, Murphy looking down was actually in a completely different location, whereas the other stuff in the steel mill was all in uh, Philadelphia. I wonder why they had to do that. It might just be one of those things of purely, again, purely logistics. They might, they might just not have had the space, or maybe there just wasn't a safe space to film that particular thing. And maybe the other location just didn't look good enough. It's uh, on the exterior. Could be anything. Because that's the other thing: is exterior and interior shots can sometimes be radically different places. But even though we only see the the gangs living space for all of five seconds i think it conveys a lot about the characters that it you know it, it's useful information that hmm. you well this might not be their living space as such but it's definitely their hangout it's yeah. a hangout the, the hideout sort of thing yeah um it's this it's the safe it's the safe room you know we've yeah. just done a heist let's hide out here until the heat's gone I'm realizing with uh, tron legacy the main character sam flynn is terrible underdeveloped boring but i'm yep. noticing the set decorators more than any other department have done way more to convey his character than the costume department than the writers than the actor no cost the the set designer yeah he's little like um garage house thing it says so much more yeah, yeah like it's this it looks like it's kind of hobo chic and yet at the same time that would be very <laughs> expensive that you yes. you get people to build you a house made out of two storage or shipping containers that's that's a yeah. project so now i know that sam flynn is an avid uh architect interior douche designer uh, a douchebag too but we we knew that part. <laughs> but yeah no it's just, and he's on the river, like he's facing the water. This is, he's loaded, clearly. Well, that's, that's it, I was going to say, is, uh, I don't know how far through you are a legacy at this point. Obviously, you have some, you've talked about this. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's just, a, a location is always a shorthand for the characters to a certain degree. Like, mm. the living quarters of a person is supposed to reflect that person in, at least in... In media, so well, I think just if you were to look at my apartment and look at your place, I think it says a lot about <laughs> us. It really does. Yeah, the neat freak versus the slob, the the minimalist versus the maximalist. Yeah, yeah, same thing, isn't it? It's, it's a nicer way of putting it. <laughs> oh, I am never going to publish a photo of my place. Uh, the funny thing is, I'm I'm taking one of these people. I keep all the areas clean of a house except for like my bedroom. It's like my my little uh, like hobbit hole of not dirty but just stuff. It's like a dragon's nest. Yeah, dragon's nest of DVDs. I don't sleep on top of them though because that might dent them. <laughs> Want to keep them mint condition, of course. <laughs> yes, exactly. They're piled up in a place in the corner in this office. <laughs> but... There's writing on the door that Lewis enters through, and I'm really curious to yeah. know. Was that always there, or did they add that? Why is it there? What does it say? We can't really make it out. In the last minute of the commentary is that there there was just a ton of graffiti all over the steel mill when they got there. And some of it was from the previous workers who had been fired or let go because of the, the mill closing down and stuff like that. Because so. mm. it's not just a tag. It, it's definitely saying something. No. 
It kind of looks like it's saying happy birthday. This is H-A and then it's cut off and then below B-I something something. So it's, yeah. Maybe it's wishing the steel mill itself a happy birthday. Maybe. Um, but wouldn't that be something if you graffitied this building and then you saw Robocop and then you were like, hey, that's my tag. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. It has to have happened. Well, how's this for a segue? Speaking of happy birthdays, even though this is this comes up later on in the novelization because I I have proceeded in reading it a bit more since the last time we spoke, I think I found an actual date that this movie set in. Ah, also it was my birthday day before yesterday. So speaking of, oh, so by the time this comes out, you'll be older by about two weeks. So happy yeah, birthday yeah. for two weeks and a day ago. Yeah. This is my birthday month, at least, yeah. So, uh... If that time's right. <laughs> 29 years. My God. Oh, God. 29 years still young, compared to old fart like me. Well, most of my friends are significantly older than me, so it's <laughs> fine, really. Yeah, older, but maybe not as wiser. <laughs> exactly. This is deleted, obviously, from uh, the movie. This is just a bit of um, media break fluff. This is media break. You give us three minutes, and we'll give you the world. That's in the actual novelization. I'll read the bit. It's revealed today by doctors at the Texas Clone Institute that Hollywood immortal Sylvester Sloan died yesterday doing an unsuccessful brain transplant. A longtime supporter of bioengineering, Stallone was 97. His last film, Robocop 38, Old Blood, will be released posthumously next month. His last film, Rambo 38, Old Blood, will be released posthumously next month. Wow. So it's sort of like Futurama. He was going to be ahead in a jar, but he didn't make it. Yeah. But it does give Stallone an age, 97. Ah. So if you add 97 to his birth year, which is 1946, I believe, we get the year 2043. Whoa. Canonical. Canonical. It's in the novelization, so it has to be true, apart from all the things that it isn't. <laughs> so if this was in the original script which we could presume it could have been then the writers had a thought that this happened roughly 80 years into the future so that means you can't really have any crossovers with any Stallone characters because it is canonically accepted that Sylvester Stallone is a person who exists in the Robocop universe yes uh, as strange as that is <laughs> <laughs> I love when you break down the rules of, you know, how Marvel and DC, all the movies are supposed to be connected within their own universes. Yeah. But yeah, well, when, when you, they do, yeah. Yeah, when they try to. Um, but yeah, once you start thinking about the logistics of that, you just go, okay, hang on. This one reference <laughs> throws everything out the window. Okay. Well, this is also one of the favorite gags of um, that great piece of cinematic masterpiece. Um, I'm trying to think of the name. Last Action Hero, where the gag is... Um, in the universe with Jack, Sl Jack Slater? Yes. God, you know what? Uh, yeah. Um, in the fictional universe, in the movie universe that's also fictional, Sylvester Sloan was Terminator. Yes. And apparently he was very good as the, <laughs> in the role. I mean, yeah, that's just a gag on the whole uh, Stallone-Schwarzenegger relationship. But of course you can't yes. have Arnold Schwarzenegger be the Terminator in a movie universe where Arnold Schwarzenegger is also... A person, but then you also get the fact that they're coming to the real world, and then you have an Arnold Schwarzenegger plus the Jack Slater. Don't know, I've gone cross-eyed. It doesn't matter. Just tell yourself it's a movie, and you really should relax. Yes. Okay. Mystery Science Theater three thousand. <laughs> la la la. Uh, I must be. I'm a little bit worked up because uh, I saw Wonder Woman eighty three, eighty three, eighty four today. I, I watched this. It was not eighties enough. Film. I, I watched the prequel to nineteen eighty uh, to uh, Wonder Woman eighty four, which was Wonder Woman eighty three. I mean, it was fucking confusing. Mm. Um, <laughs> that was bad. I I really loved the film. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, yeah, it wasn't eighties enough, but at the same time, I don't think that was intended to be. Like you know, like yeah, it wasn't didn't have enough eighties music. But looking back, it's like hmm. I think the reason they chose nineteen eighty four was not because of the year. <laughs> A lot of it is to do with the idea of lies versus truth. Oh, right. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like doublespeak is a thing. Anyway. As soon as I had that revelation, I was just like, ah. 
Yeah, why did I never make the connection between 1980... And I am reading it now. I never <laughs> picked up on any Orwellian references in that movie. I'm just... It's not like analysing film and picking up tiny details is my job or anything. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I only really thought about it after the fact when I was just going, oh, yeah, this movie's a lot deeper than... We so it's analysing some of the themes because this has some. And I was just like, oh, yeah. The relationship between truth and lies. It's almost like, you know, another franchise based on the idea of speaking truth to lies, not quite as efficiently or as effectively, I should say. The whole idea of Cold War, fragile uh, mentalities, how, like, you know, the, the brewing of nuclear arms races between different countries and all the other subtext. Jeez, this movie might actually have thought behind it too much thought of anything <laughs> 500 plots in two hours it was amazing you know <laughs> i wasn't that much uh um before we go to a movie that has zero thought behind it uh I'll, i do have some notes from the commentary ed Neumara gives credit to the beat of stopping the stream when M lewis's bubble breaks to verhoven which makes sense, is not a thing in the novelization. However, they do make a note that um, Lewis's body double for the fall, specifically the shot where Lewis is falling from the rail down, uh, Nancy Allen did the fall onto the, the boxes, because you see her face. The fall itself was done by the stunt coordinator, Gary Combs. Now, here's the funny thing, is I thought, Gary Combs, he's probably done a lot of different stuff. And yes, this is me trying to crowbar in a bit that we've already done, but I'm just going to post to you the INDB link of Gary Combs. I want, hopefully the same first picture comes up on your screen as it does on mine, because it's amazing. Gorn? Yeah, he was uh, the yeah. Gorn! What a legend. You have to have a badass on the level of a Gorn to, to essentially inhabit the body of a Lewis. Hmm. Simple as that. Oh, the other thing I wrote down is Lewis has the higher ground. Also, also, this dude was in bloody They Live, so it's all, it's all connected. Yeah, it looks like he stopped um, working in 2009, but he's been in stunts since, like, yeah, six, 1962, so yeah, like... Yeah, that's a long-ass career. 40 years as a stunt double? Yes, you know, he's, he's probably in, like, attraction somewhere, not being able to completely move for jumping off buildings for that long that was going to be my crowbar star trek reference because i thought that was really interesting but um oh uh, one note i did make it's interesting when you think about it to that lewis is going up but murphy's descending descending into hell oh, perhaps true mm, maybe something we can explore in the next minute although i believe the next minute is the uh the confrontation between emil and uh and murphy for the next Time. I just want Robocop to show up. I'm so eager. No, we've we've only got a few more minutes because okay, let's let's check the database. <laughs> I mean I have to say that this whole movie is great. Like, even before oh, we yeah. get to Robocop, all this stuff is interesting and compelling and stuff, but I, I don't think it really gets going until you've got your titular Robocop. Yeah, we we need we need the robots cops to, to really Sorry, I had someone ask me, a woman probably in her 40s or 50s, I don't know exactly, but she asked me what titular meant. It's the title. Uh, it's in the word, lady. I don't... Yeah. They're probably going, so it's the person with the biggest breasts. Yes, clearly. I was talking about Alien. We were talking about Alien and Prometheus and all that, and I was saying, you know, it, the xenomorph. And she's like, what's a xenomorph? Oh, the titular alien. The what alien? The... Titular, okay, yep. Like the title, um, not like titular, like uh, Robocop's um, amazing boobies in Alpha Commando. <laughs> Why are that your boobs so big? They're not boobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to fit the printer in for starters. Hmm. You know that you got to have the print head. It's got to go left and right. It's got to have a feeder. Holy Jesus! So yeah, here's the funny thing: is we've still got. Yeah, we've still got about six minutes until we finally get the, our first glimpse of RoboVision. It's still going to be a couple more minutes after that when we get RoboCop himself. Goddamn. So. So. We, we, we get, we're getting close. Do we want to move on to Gaslighting RoboCop, where there are already cyborgs? Alex, how do you feel? 
I feel fine, Dr. Norton. Do we have to? Yes, I know. This minute begins with a close-up on Robo Legs and ends with a up. Uh, said it too fast. Anyway. Robo Legs. Ooh. Robo Legs. Yeah. This minute begins with a close-up on Robo Legs and ends with a close-up on Robo Hands. Ooh, we got all the body parts. Woo! Yeah. Uh, we are introduced to Gary Oldman's character, Doctor Dennett oh. Norton, who specialises in cybernetics. There we go. Not not at all a reference to Morton. I know. To the point that I thought they were supposed to be related. I think you did too, but no, no connection there. No, no, that's, it, it seems to be a running thing in this movie where there's absolutely no connection to anything in the original movie beyond names. Just realised my fan was running, goddammit. Speaking of themes, uh, my one note is... Relax, don't do it. When... So, uh, costume note is that uh, Gary Oldman is, you know, he's a doctor, so he's in his typical white lab coat, but they have gone the extra step, and there is a subtle grid texture on there, and I think it's those little details that really make something look more professional, look more expensive. Yeah, this is, on a production level, this is a really um, well-made film. Yeah, there's so many blockbusters like that that are really competent. Like, every other department, I should say, is really bringing yeah. their A-game. But then, you know, the... Just not the scriptwriter not... or the director yeah. or the actor. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> no throwing shade at Gary Oldman here. I'm more throwing shade at, like, you know, just bad movies in general. I mean, he's basically doing this in his sleep. This is no real oh, yeah. stretch for him. But I honestly think that he is a great character because mm. he might work for OCP, but he is first and foremost a doctor and he wants to help. There's a lot of potential in his character because for once, Robocop actually has someone who's on his side who cares about his well-being. Well, I would argue that's actually... I mean, this is something I was going to bring up definitely in later minutes but i think that's the problem with norton is that it feels like that's the thing they were aiming for but then it gets really inconsistent because it also feels like norton's happy to throw murphy under a bus to Mm. get what he wants or do whatever sells his um bidding is because it all could have been really interesting that idea of exactly this is a genuinely empathetic guy but in this ruthless corporate world, even he is going to be forced to do things that he's not comfortable with. And I think that's the problem with a movie like this, is that it wants to inject that stuff into the movie, but it never follows through. And I know. You never actually see that moment when Norton... Why don't they just call him Norton have done with it? A friend of mine does the Tron podcast, uh, Tronologically mm-hmm. speaking, and yeah, he keeps calling Sark Stark, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. I still keep calling Bodica Brodica. I haven't called him Matthew Brodica in a while, so that's Brodica. Yeah, so <laughs> I think when, if this movie doesn't have a Lewis, then mm. Dennett Norton becomes your Lewis. And so that's one of the biggest issues I'm realizing now is that we don't have anyone for Robocop to connect with or potentially someone who can help find his humanity. I mean, he has a family. You'd think they'd play the part. Not really. Yeah, I was just about to say, that's kind of the fucked up thing when this character is set up as that connection character and he doesn't even serve that role that well. No one follows through with the job that they were given within the script. You had one job. God damn it. But um, yeah, Norton's talking about, it brings up this interesting philosophical notion, the idea that we are our brains rather than our bodies. And well, having done extensive research on this, not just for Prometheus by a minute, but also I'm just, I'm fascinated by robotics and cybernetics. uh, And I would classify myself as a transhumanist. I think the truth is, is that we are absolutely our bodies, which is kind of depressing. But yeah, consciousness, as we are learning, is spread throughout the body. There are enough neurons in our stomach to be the equivalent of the brain of a cat. And we don't fully understand what those particular neurons do. So much about the human body... We've really only scratched the surface, Mm. relatively stickly speak. I mean, we know where parts are we know biology in that kind of way but we don't know 
the interconnectedness to a certain degree. Yeah, we know the mechanics, but we don't yeah. know the programming, I suppose you could say. Yeah, yeah that's it. I mean... It was like, okay, that's the fan, that's the CPU, that's it, but what is it actually, how does it do what it does, I don't know. Why is the mouse on the wheel so important? I don't know, but if we get rid of it, the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> exactly. I believe that's actually something from, like, Terry Pratchett, like, Sounds um, like the, the, computer, the computer hex. Yes. <laughs> the computer hex is, like, this ever-evolving mechanical computer in the disc world, because there's no electronics. Yeah, And, right. yeah, it's one of those things, like... Someone put in a fluffy toy into the matrix or components. It has it serves no purpose, but hex will shut down if someone removes the fluffy toy <laughs> because magic. <laughs> There's a book called Intelligence in the Flesh by Guy Claxton that explores this very issue of brain and body, and we just don't understand consciousness at all. And, mm. But the more we learn, the more it seems to be a full-body experience. So, I mean, mm. you know, putting machinery into our body, that is so profoundly unnatural. There are so many technological hurdles to overcome. It's not something mm. the body wants in it. Uh, rejection's a huge issue. Yeah. Uh, losing yeah. a limb isn't so much of a big deal, but Robocop himself presents this extreme end of that scenario. How much can you remove before a human is no longer human? And not even in terms of, you know, what do we classify him as, but, you know, does Murphy lose his proprioception? Does he lose his ability to respond to stimulus correctly? I mean, hmm. he doesn't have organic skin or a stomach or an inner ear, maybe. It, it, hmm. Would it just be a full-body phantom limb all the time? Would his me metabolism malfunction? Would his immune system fall to pieces? I don't know. We don't... <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly it. It's like, how much of the mechanical... I think this is what I was alluding to earlier on in some of the early minutes is like, realistically speaking, a the ideas of the mechanics of this machine probably only needs a small amount of parts of a human component. Like, yeah, mm. essentially, if you just basically see the the brain as the CPU yeah. that could process this machine, then you don't need most of the other biology except the biology that needs to steer the thing. It's like a car. It's basically, yeah. To serve the brain. So, like, you know, do does the brain need blood? Yes. Oh, so yeah. what we need is a heart. Well, but what we have live in a universe that has a mechanical heart. In Robocop, we can say, yes, we do have that. Yeah. You know, you get to pick the heart. <laughs> so then we have this thing of, like, okay, so you just... I hear the Yamaha's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so all you need, essentially, is a reservoir of blood to circulate to the brain. All you need is the exact amount of blood that will help circulate the brain yeah how oxygen, you oxygenate the blood, blood nutrients yeah. yeah so therefore we need to keep lungs but what if we have an uh, a mechanical device that can do that in to give props to the remake robocop does have a still have his lungs and stuff like they that. really did think it through and when we get to that minute i can't wait yeah. to get to i think that's one of the best minutes <laughs> they really did think it through except for that hand <laughs> We'll get to that when we get to that. But <laughs> yeah, I, I keep thinking of in Robocop 2 where the actual Robocop 2, they bring him out and he tears his head off and there's just a skull screaming. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, to put someone's brain in a mechanical body all in one go, hmm. that just might be so much trauma that exactly. you would just, you'd go comatose. You just wouldn't even be responsive anymore. I think that's also, in many ways, why I think Robocop won uh, the movie and, you know, the titular Robocop both function well is that the whole idea that his memory is wiped. But what we know about trauma now, as I have to point out, yeah, we didn't have mental illness back in the 80s. It didn't exist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the idea of just, you know, erasing a brain is a corporate thing, but I must admit, you know, the whole idea of maybe erasing all that trauma of not just the the brutal murder of Murphy, but also, yeah, maybe the old trauma of losing your autonomy, your body and all that. Because we do see how Robocop does eventually react to this notion of him losing his life and mm. regaining some portion of that humanity. Oh, I don't even mean emotional trauma. I mean, literally, it's a physical injury where yeah. there's only the brain left. So does that just make the brain go haywire and just sends up 
yeah. just sit, the, the alarms are just all all the alarms are going it's just like oh we've lost this we've lost that we've lost this we've lost, like how do you turn that off in the brain i don't think for a second that the writers and the creators of these movies not not maybe the remake but especially the first one they didn't think these things through they just went, we're putting brain in jar. I love watching 80s fictions, science fiction specifically, hmm. because they don't understand how technology works. So things like Tron, Knight Rider, Robocop, it's all, just, there's an element of magic to it. Although I will give Tron points that it's the most accurate, except for the people in the machine. You've got to remember that this was the era that grew up with... Uh, so once they grew up, that's not the right word, but this is the first decade where home computing was a viable option, or at the very least, it, computing became a thing that was more prevalent in industries like, you know, office areas and stuff like that. So, you know, the video game started to become a thing, you know, video game consoles, so computers were invading the home. This is the first time we interacted with technology in this scale. It's quite interesting that... Okay, so I watched Demon Seed. That's a science fiction movie from the 70s. 77, same year as Star Wars. Hmm. That has Wi-Fi. So even though most people didn't know what the internet was, this supercomputer, through 1970s internet, gets into another location, goes from the lab to another house. Well, uh... The internet was around in the 70s. It was called, um, oh, God, it was DARPA? Yeah, DARPAnet. Which was a military network connection that essentially, you know, they finally opened up and that's what became the basis of the internet. The internet, of course, expanded when, you know, more people uh, started setting up hubs and networking and became uh, the web that we know today. It is so hard to imagine a world before that, you know, going back in time and before, pre-industrialization just realizing there's no centralized place for data there is no realm in which mass like quantum calculations are going down (laughs) it is just all organics doing organic things that is just i feel terrified i guess this is the 10 year gap between us uh, speaking but yeah i can imagine a, a time before the internet because i did live it and i'm not what that's was not it like? i'm not trying to dis- <laughs> I'm not, it was very boring no i'm a lot harder to get access to porn mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i that is true um because um, i was yeah i was born in 1992 so we always had a computer in the house you were a babby basically when the the internet was just starting to get into the home. Yeah, I mean, retro games to me would be PlayStation 1. Like, oh, you mean Crash <laughs> Bandicoot, Spyro the Dragon? That's vintage. So, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I completely grok uh, the whole concept of, wow, how could you live like this? And part of me is just like, have you ever turned your mobile off for a day? It's like that for, for a few years. Oh, my God. I just <laughs> You just made me realize I have never been without my phone since I got this... Yeah, I no. There's never been a day I have been without the internet or without my phone. Like it's an extension of me. I'm a cyborg, hmm. basically. Yeah, no, I, I'm. I am not. Um, I am not a luddite. I do not subscribe to luddite theories. I do sometimes see myself, you know, getting to that point where I am getting behind on the technological update side of things it is kind of ironic that i am both a proponent of transhumanism and ancestral living at the same time this scene with the guy he's a double amputee lost both of these arms he's learning to play guitar again he's in rehabilitation and this is a scene a lot of people commented on in the reviews and and viewers just in general were saying that this was quite beautiful this really stood out to them and yeah i think this is one scene where we are actually seeing the emotional the human benefits of this technology i'm so sick of fiction demonizing technology as it becomes more ubiquitous in our own lives we're still doing this black mirror paranoia but look here is a scene where technology is allowing someone to resume the life they had before and frankly Anything to the contrary is ableist. So I do have another note on this uh, minute. It was not really a note, but it's just a comment. Um, Mm. It's honestly a nice little moment, which should have been the theme. Yes. 
I don't know who owns the rights to Robocop, but give me those fucking rights. I will make another movie, and it will be about important shit. Well, MGM is selling it, so we just need to win lottery. Oh a couple of yeah, times and we can we can make our own robot cop too. Yep, time to start that OnlyFans, guys. <laughs> uh, I found the Douglas Adams quote I've been thinking about, and it's uh, and it it is kind of true. So. This is from the Salmon of Doubt, to quote uh, Douglas Adams himself. I've come up with a set of rules that describe our reactions to technologies. One, anything that is in the world when you're born is normal and ordinary and is a natural part of the way the world works. Two, anything that's invented between when you're 15 and 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary and you can probably get a career in it. Three, anything invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. (laughs) And I hate to say it, as someone who is definitely past 35, uh, I can't get into a lot of the new media, uh, social media things like TikTok and stuff. It's just not my kind of thing. But I am technically a futurist. I am a humanist. I like... I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I like the idea that technology can help us propel ourselves forward and not backwards. Well, if you're a humanist, how do you feel about physical augmentations then? Well, I'll get to that in a tick, because I want to talk about this in this, but I I am relegating to the expert first, because you know a lot more about this stuff than I do. But I am not someone who will ever restrict to technology if I don't understand it. As much in recent times, the internet has kind of shown to be a festering pit of hate. Hmm. The benefits of the internet have been proven time and time again over the last few decades the easy access to information the interconnectedness of disparate cultures and peoples throughout the internet and has actually improved people the activism that can be done on the internet there's so much good positive stuff that can be done through this medium as regards to humanism compared i'm all for it i have no issues regarding technology that can improve lives I'm torn on the idea when people just like, I just want to rip my arms off and get new limbs. I don't think a lot of people think like that. That's a, that's a very media-heavy thing. Mm. But if somebody can get a replacement limb that functions at almost exactly the same level as the previous limb, like people who get horrible accidents, amputees, um, physical deformities that are causing uh, health issues, yeah, do it. That's the thing is most humanists, especially Gene Roddenberry did not like cyborgs and yeah. had a huge... Uh, the Borg of uh, 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 villains. Let's be brutally honest. A humanist of, of Gene Roddenberry's caliber was a humanist 50 years ago where mm. these issues were also radically different. Mm. Yeah, because I'm still seeing humanists now having this debate with us transhumanists. It's sort of a bit of a, a wall between our subreddits, I think. I, I use the term as a thing of I think I, I think of it more as like I'm I'm pro human. Go human fuck those aliens. Not not <laughs> the not the aliens like conservatives think of, but like, you know, those little green men. Actually I'm fully into little green men, but that's just between you and the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> fuck fuck those aliens and also fuck those aliens. Yes, I'm. I'm all down for the Captain Kirkisms. Um, Will Bang K. <laughs> I don't have a thing for green skinned girls. I, you know, I don't have She Hulk all over my uh, bedroom. I don't have. Um, <laughs> literally looking at my She Hulk toys and my collection of uh, Jade comics and uh, and Gamora from. Anyhow, hmm. enough of my fetishes. Uh, let's talk about uh, robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> nothing my fetishes, now for your fetishes. Woo! <laughs> no, I, uh, the, the only thing that I think is really interesting, I'm not sure how true this is for a guy who's apparently not used a, a cybernetic limb to immediately be able to play a musical instrument with that kind of finesse. It just feels a little bit... It shouldn't have been as perfect. Yeah, I was thinking about that where if he struggles to do it correctly... Uh, yeah. And you know he's kind of freaking out, going, "Oh, I can't do it." Then yeah. I don't know what what what's the takeaway message because you don't have enough time. I think it's a problem. It's a feature film. You gotta yeah. And he's not the main character, so I think you do have to just show, "Hey, this technology is so amazing, you can pick it up immediately." So 
That's an issue we see in science fiction a lot, that whenever yeah. we have cybernetics, they are flawless. They never go into the risks or the difficulties. It's just, oh, we'll clip in a new limb and you can keep on walking like you did yesterday. I do have an example where that's not true. Oh, yeah? But it is comedy. Still sci-fi, but it is comedy. So it's played for a laugh. And that is the season of Red Dwarf we do not speak of, which was season seven, oh, right. where Lister loses his limb and he's given a robot arm of one of Crichton's. And the gag is it takes him like minutes of built up pressure and like screaming out loud to try and get pick up a ball. <laughs> and you know, it finally gets it and he's you know, Lister's absolutely knackered from doing it. And I think there's also the gag that, you know, he literally can't, you know, his body cannot physically lift up this gigantic, you know, it's not gigantic, but this heavy robot arm as well. So it's like completely pointless, <laughs> which I think is good. But at the same time, I think that's actually something that would happen in real life. Your body and your mind need to adapt to the technology. It's not plug and play. It's something that you have to train your brain to do. And it feels like this seems like a little bit too much on the, we've just plugged it in and it works. Yeah, in Alita Battle Angel, there is a character who is decapitated and his... They got better? He got better. His head was reattached to a robot body. So this is a guy who did not have any cybernetics and then he yeah. went to full body prosthesis and yeah. he gets up, he walks out and he climbs this really oh, huge structure immediately. Yeah. And it's just like, no, no. If it was no that easy, we'd happen. all do it. Yeah, which I guess in that world... Sign me up! Would. Yeah. Uh, I have to wonder how many people would. I mean, it depends on the, very spe the specifics, the finer details of how it would be to be a cyborg in real life. But yeah, yeah. I wonder... I mean, someone like me would probably agree to do it no matter what. But I guess for other people, it depends on how much of their old life that they can resume. And for most people, the sensations and the pleasures of being in a human yeah. body is a big thing. If someone turned around to me and says, we can replace your entire spine, back, hips, all the record record that's kind of fucked up on my body at the moment, sign me up. <laughs> Give me some of that good cybernetics uh i mean i don't want to turn into like a massive killer robot because i did i didn't sign up for this yes <laughs> i never asked for this that's the one i couldn't remember the actual i was vamping because i was trying to remember what it is oh i thought you gave me an opening to say it i never asked for this i did think this was a really cool um thing but yeah i was a little bit disappointed again that it was too perfect you know? mm. yeah I, I really see your point I wonder how we would get around it. Yeah. I think that's, again, if it was just a shit film, I think I wouldn't be so angry, but it's just a shit film that had so much potential. Movies like this, I can talk about endlessly. Also, <laughs> that Demon Seed that I, I keep referencing, I just watched it the other night, and I've got so many ideas going, oh, we need to remake this, and it could have been so mm. much more, but it is just, it, it has so many smart ideas, but it's so incredibly dumb. <laughs> but yet it's filmed in this beautiful kind of artsy, abstract, surreal way. And yeah, okay, I guess just mixed bag. Those are almost the candidates I always think of when if you're going to make remake a movie is remake something that's flawed but has potential. Mm. Like don't remake great films. It just just never works. No. Remake the flawed stuff. It's almost like if you've got like a flawed robot and then you re-engineer the parts so then it works flawlessly, which is a great analogy to the robotism stuff in this movie. Bad <laughs> segue, I know. You can fix things. You just don't have to keep remaking the good stuff. We have the technology. So, oh, I haven't never watched a $6 million man. Maybe I should do that. Um, so what I was thinking with in this scene, you see robot feet that look like human feet. And the thing mm -hmm. is, evolution doesn't always get everything right. And with cybernetics, <laughs> we have the opportunity to improve and refine. And mm. in the case of our feet, we've got terribly designed feet because yeah. they are repurposed hands. Yeah. They we were, we were an arboreal species, then when we needed to walk upright, hands became feet. So yeah. these artificial feet we see at the beginning of this minute, 
you wouldn't do that. You know, you got all these extraneous little bits that you just that they're going to break no. and they're just going to cause more issues. So, it is interesting when you look at real prosthetic legs in real life. None of them look like real feet because they don't need to. And well, if you the only ones that look realistic are like you know the solid solid prosthetics you know so the foot it gives the illusion of being a real foot it's a solid piece it yeah. doesn't have movable toes it has a ball joint and stuff like that just for movability it's a glorified peg leg yeah <laughs> but what we see especially when you look to sports you get like the kangaroo spring style ones where it's like it's actually uh yeah an actual uh what do they call a cantilevered spring um yeah let's look at what they're actually called because i don't know like a suspension spring yeah yeah and they are designed that to give the person using it basically the maximum amount of push to the spring to to get off the ground and they're spectacularly good at um making someone with no feet run very very quickly yeah yeah, I mean, you look at them and you go, well, why would you not want that instead? It's just so much more efficient. And as I was saying before we started recording, I think that I want to see that particular arms race. You know, it's not about hmm. taking all these performance-enhancing drugs, but actually modifying the body. And that, hmm. yeah, that's fascinating to me. Well, now I think about it, we are seeing that... In regards to biology, like um, genome, well, not genome hacking, but we've got like, um, was it CRISPR, which is what people have been using as a way to hack their DNA, for lack of a better term. Yeah, biohacking. Yeah, biohacking. I haven't looked into it in a while, I'll admit, but what I, last time I looked into it, it seemed a little bit um, dubious uh, that it's actually that effective. Yeah, people have been able to do minor modifications, but it seems like they have to continually do it, and it's very underground right now. Everyone seems to be fixated on the uh, lowering their myostatin, which is, uh, myostatin is a, I believe it's a protein that tells the body when it's built enough muscle. So, for example, you look at apes, they are naturally so muscular, it's not because they're bodybuilding, it's just because they have low myostatin. And uh-huh. the same thing, you see that with that kind of double muscling, they call or sometimes triple muscling. So you see dogs or cows that are just ripped. Uh, they've done it to mice. So so how can I gene hack to get rid of all this flubber again? Lots of nios. Sorry, that's just... Uh, no, so to burn fat, that is another... That's a whole other process which you can <laughs> bioengineer. But yeah, as someone who is all about ancestral living, I have to wonder, well, you know, instead of you know replacing your back because you've got chronic inflammation, why not just fast? Why not you know, go on a more ancestrally appropriate diet. And I think that's going to be a huge debate in the very near future where it's going to, I mean, it's kind of happening right now where mm. we could sort your anxiety and depression through natural means or you could take medication. So but not all medication works for some people and not all natural medication works with other people as well. It's almost like our biology is so fucking crazy. So yeah, so that's what I'm trying to say, is that we can't even make an accurate diagnosis to really know what our bodies need. So (laughs) I would always go with, let's try working hard, doing the natural thing first, but for some people, they're just not going to do that. They just do not have the motivation to do it. In this economy? In this economy, yeah. No one has the motivation to do such a thing. So yeah, all of this is, is just so... Fascinating, and to think a stupid movie like this can inspire discussion like that. Especially when it's unintending to be, because it's more interested about criticising Obama-era administrative uh, things on drone strikes. Mm. In a Robocop movie. Drones, who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck about drones? (laughs) Well... Uh, whoever wrote this movie because apparently it wasn't actually so I read that it was Ed Neumeyer and Michael Miner that wrote this thing but apparently it's someone else actually re-edited the movie oh so maybe there was a good script at some point and they just butchered it I have no idea I was, I was doing a bit of research for Robocop I came across a random article praising the remake over the original and because they go okay I'm gonna read this what is the good thing this person wants to talk about? And it was mostly just like, stop hating on the director. 
stop being a hater. Don't it never actually told the reader what was good about the movie. It's just you know stop hating on this thing because I like it. Hmm. So that was useful. Yep. Maybe we should probably stop the hating uh, at least for this episode. Yeah, I I actually felt I was uh, quite positive about this minute for once. Uh, yeah, I I'll admit I was positive. I I have criticisms of the just sheer plug and plainness of the artificial limb, but yeah, I do think again this could have been the theme of the movie, and it would have been pretty interesting. Hmm. You got a robot cop. How does his how does the mind and the body work? Yeah, this is the first time we're seeing cybernetics within the the society that Robocop yeah. takes place in, where in the first film, I mean, it doesn't really matter because it is, it is trying to just be a schlocky action movie, that we don't yeah. really know, like, where did this technology come from? Is this something we've seen before? How exotic is it to see a man completely uh, put in prosthetics like that? Well, that's it. I think you'd probably do that with any movie that's 30 years old at this point. You have to modernise it. You have to reimagine it. You can't just, realistically speaking, especially something from like the 1980s nowadays, you just can't have that kind of dumbed-down level construction, especially if you want to make a social critique. And I think the critique just falls flat in this movie. That's, that's mm. ultimately one of the biggest failings I think about it. They just the theming is wrong, the th- critique is wrong, and it's just not interesting. <laughs> yeah. But good positive cyborg uh, human parts integration on the whole. Mm. That's that's a that's a tick in this movie's box this minute. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to end on a downer. Mm. Let's be positive. Yeah. We hate on this movie enough. Let's be positive. <laughs> Give it its due where it actually does earn it. Yep, yep, and we've still got plenty of minutes where it doesn't. Exactly. <laughs> so where can the lovely viewers find you? Uh, you can find me on TraviaDesigns.com, T-R-A-V-I-A-N. I've just finished Prometheus by Minute, thank God. So that's RSVP. on Alien RSVP. So you can find that on Alien Prequels by Minute. So that's Prometheus and Alien Covenant. And I do have a YouTube channel, which... Uh, so I've been going by Connor this whole time. So I was a trans man for five years, and now I'm detransitioning. So if you want to know about that whole damn story, uh, that's over on uh, Courtney Coulson on YouTube. As for this bloated sack of meat that requires some cybernetic upgrades, you can find me on Fandom Crossing. Just look for the YouTubes and... The Symbolcasts, the Googles, the Apples, the um, Spotify's. I do have Patreon and all that gunk, but just you know, just like, share, subscribe. This stuff, please give us reviews if you like us. Please give us reviews if you hate us. Anything to fill the beast that is the algorithm. And until next time, Robocock. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.